in general, a failed coup is what happens before a successful coup. Um, a failed coup is practice for a successful coup. It's hard to get a coup right the first time. Once you've had a coup attempt in your country, which we have had, you, you, you can't look away from the basic reality that other coup attempts are very likely coming down the road. Yeah, they are. And this time, the U.S. Supreme Court is helping them. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Uh, where am I? Uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's <clears throat> WLRI. Maui, Hawaii's uh, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's W-A-D-R and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950-KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, a little bit rusty after we've been off uh, after, uh, over a few very much-needed uh, days we took off following the 4th of July holiday uh, and what now appears to be a very busy week in uh, in the days ahead as the House January 6th committee investigating Donald Trump's insurrection at the Capitol and multiple attempts to steal the 2020 election uh, have. Well, earlier today, they announced that they would be holding two new public hearings this week on Tuesday and Thursday. But now, Desi Doyen, uh, has that changed? The Thursday hearing is canceled. Canceled? Yes. All right. So the Tuesday hearing is now at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And the Thursday evening that was going to be yeah. in prime time and expected to get a huge audience has been postponed until further notice. Okay. So for now, Tuesday, special coverage right here on the broadcast of yes. Tuesday's public hearings. And that's all we know for right now, for the most part. That's all we have for <clears throat> all now. Right. Other than that, yeah, we're back. I think I see that things are still the same around here, uh, here at KPFK. Everything is fine. I'm, my lead-in is still Tokyo Rose. But uh, on this show, we are not paid by anyone other than listeners. That's right. We have no 
uh, you know, Kremlin-supported media outlets that pay us to be on your airwaves. So whatever you get, you got. You got me. Uh, while we were out over the past week, of course, the American carnage sadly continued with mass shootings over the Independence Day holiday, including the one in Highland Park that killed seven, wounded more than 20 at that July 4 community parade. In Atlanta, some much better news. Uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, a special grand jury impaneled by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis has now subpoenaed key members of former President Donald Trump's legal team, including his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and, yes, South Carolina's U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham, as we had been long warning you, was likely to happen. Also subpoenaed by the grand jury investigating the conspiracy led by Trump to try and steal Georgia's presidential election from its voters were his rogue attorneys, John Eastman, Cleta Mitchell, Kenneth Cheesebro. Yeah, that's his name. And Jenna Ellis, all of whom advised the Trump campaign on strategies for exactly how to steal Joe Biden's wins in Georgia and other swing states. Those subpoenas were approved by a Fulton County Superior Court judge uh, who noted that all seven of the folks were, quote, a necessary and material witness to the investigation. Whether they were a party to any crimes there, well, that remains to be seen. The 23-person special grand jury has heard testimony in recent weeks from what the Atlanta uh, uh, Journal-Constitution describes as a parade of witnesses. But these new subpoenas are the closest that the jurors have come so far to the Trump campaign or itself or the inner circle of the Disgraced former president Giuliani, you'll recall, testified before Georgia legislators in late 2020, showing edited surveillance video of ballots being tabulated at Atlanta's State Farm Arena and falsely claiming that the tape was, quote, smoking gun evidence of election workers pulling out, quote, suitcases of ballots to count after sending Republican poll watchers home. None of that, as it turns out, none of it was actually true. But the video in question nonetheless made the way all the way to Donald Trump, who then made Attorney General Bill Barr watch it. Uh, He then tasked U.S. attorney in Atlanta, B.J. Pack, to look into it. Pack reported back, said the claims were entirely bogus. There was no fraud there. And so Trump pushed out that U.S. attorney, B.J. Pack. Giuliani, of course, was later suspended from practicing law in New York in part because of the false testimony he gave in Georgia. And then there's John Eastman, the uh, former law professor. He was the uh, one of the key architects of this scheme to pressure Mike Pence to reject the official Democratic electors in Georgia and other swing states and opt for uh, slates of fake electors in their place, even though, as the uh, January 6th committee has shown, even Eastman acknowledged that it was unlawful. At least at the time, that might change in advance of 2024. I will get to that momentarily. Uh, Cleta Mitchell is uh, the right-wing lawyer who uh, is was based in D.C. She advised Trump on that infamous call in January, January 2 of 2021, asking uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find 
the 11,780 votes that would be needed to steal the election. But Lindsey Graham apparently called the Secretary of State Raffensperger and his staff twice in the weeks following the November 2020 election, according to his subpoena. He called them about, quote, examining certain absentee ballots cast in Georgia in order to explore the possibility of a more favorable outcome for former President Donald Trump. Of course, a more favorable outcome would be a stolen election. Who put him up to that? Who put Lindsey Graham up to that? Well, I don't know if we we know that yet. We could probably take a few guesses, but we don't know yet why he chose to take part in this apparent criminal conspiracy. Um, But anyway, in this case, as we've reported for much of the past year and a half, conspiracy charges for all of the above, including Trump, to induce election officials to change the results in Georgia uh, could and arguably should be brought against the entire lot of them. But we're happy to see it proceeding apace, at least in Atlanta, though the uh, special grand jury has permission to meet until May of uh, 2023. The district attorney, Fonnie Willis, has said that she's expecting the group's work to wrap up long before then. Jurors are expected to draft a report at the end of the service, uh, the end of their service, recommending whether Willis should press charges against Donald Trump and or his allies. That is still uh, the most likely uh, case, I believe, to result in charges and or jail time against our disgraced former president. So we will continue to follow it closely. But good news there last week, at least in a week Uh, with not much good news, to be frank. In world news, as you, I'm sure, have heard by now, the prime ministers in both the United Kingdom and now Sri Lanka have been forced to announce their resignations after public pressure and outrage over the past week. Scores of cabinet ministers resigned in protest of Britain's scandal-plagued conservative prime minister, Boris Johnson, And the uh, house of Sri Lanka's prime minister was taken over and burned to the ground by an angry public. And, of course, the longest serving former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, was assassinated on Friday during a campaign speech before his conservative nationalist party went on to win big in uh, parliamentary elections over this past weekend. So, yeah, another slow news week while we were gone. The assassination of Abe, by the way, was all the more shocking in that it comes in a nation of 125 million people where guns are exceedingly rare. In 2021, for example, there were only 10 reported shootings across the entire nation that contributed to either death, injury or property damage. Ten. And of those ten According to the country's National Policy Agency, only one person was killed by a gun and four injured in a nation of 125 million people. How do they do it? As my colleague uh, Ernie Canning, a legal contributor at Bradblog.com, pointed out to me uh, this morning, uh, where in 2021, one single individual died in the entire country from gun violence in Japan. Here in the U.S., Uh, So far, at least in 2022, one American has died from gun violence every 12 minutes. 
And then there was the uh, new economic data released on Friday by the Labor Department, which also was not terrible. As usual, however, it got buried by just about everything else in that, uh, you know, that was terrible. In fact, the uh, data was quite good in many respects, despite continuing inflation and a very rocky stock market. The Labor Department reported that the economy added a vigorous 372,000 jobs in June. That is well above the 275,000 that economists had expected. Uh, And the unemployment rate remains at 3.6. That's just above a 50-year low. The American job market has staged an incredible comeback from the depths of the COVID-19 recession when the U.S. lost a staggering 12 million jobs. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 22 million jobs. Got to get that right. Yeah, that's a little bit of a difference. Yeah, a little bit different. (laughs) 22 million jobs. Employers added a record uh, 6.7 million jobs last year alone. They've been tacking on an average of 457,000 jobs a month so far this year. And we are now just about half a million jobs short of... um, The number of employed in February of 2020, just before the COVID pandemic kicked in. In fact, uh, counting last month's hiring, the private sector has now regained all of the jobs that it lost during the pandemic recession. The remaining uh, shortfall is apparently entirely on government payrolls. By the way, manufacturing jobs are roaring back. These things don't seem to make it to the top of the news very often. Manufacturing jobs are roaring back for the first time in a long time. American factories added almost 30,000 jobs last month alone, restoring manufacturing payrolls to nearly 13 million. That's just above pre-pandemic levels. All of that good news uh, is, of course, uh, you know, somewhat sullied by inflation and or corporate price gouging that has been running rampant in its wake with Republicans in Congress, every single one of them in the U.S. House, voting against against restrictions on price gouging and war profiteering by big oil at the gas pump, even during Russia's ongoing war against Ukraine, which has resulted in supply disruption and shortages on the global market. So I am inclined to open the phone lines today on just some of those items. Uh, if you'd like to ring in, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. But But for all the breaking news over the past week, I got to say, none of it has shaken my concerns uh, as much as exactly where we left off on this program before the holiday. It was right after our corrupted extremist activist right wing U.S. Supreme Court had ignored the Second Amendment's text in order to ban states' rights to well-regulate firearms right after they stripped away previously protected constitutional Privacy rights and reproductive freedoms to overturn Roe v. Wade. Right after they all but ended long required Miranda rights to be read for those detained by law enforcement. Right after they further eroded what is left of our constitutional separation between church and state. And after they gutted the ability of the Environmental Protection Agency to protect the environment by regulating carbon emissions as mandated by Congress. After all of that, which was terrible enough, a terrible enough way to end the term 
by our corrupt, right-wing, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court. Enough of a danger, uh, you know, that they were suggesting if they are just getting started here, what is next? What comes next? Well, all of that happened by this illegitimate Supreme Court before the announcement that has resulted in, frankly, my recurring nightmares uh, for the past week or more, frankly, for the past year or two or more regarding something that we have been trying to warn you about on this program going on, yes, two years And that is the fact that those right-wing Supremes have now accepted a case out of North Carolina called Moore v. Harper. Remember that name, because that could literally end electoral democracy in this country as we know it. And no, we don't, uh, you know, overblow these things to try and scare you. We do not uh, put propaganda on the airwaves just to try to shake you up. That's other shows, not this one. And if you weren't listening to our warnings about the, uh, well, the coming overturning of Roe v. Wade for the past year or two, boy, howdy, do I hope you'll be paying attention to our warning here in Moore v. Harper. As I have said many times in the past and has been proven true, we do try to warn you in advance of these things that are coming. And sadly, I really hate this, but we have been right. I wish that were not the case. (sighs) Me too. Now, if you weren't listening to our warnings, uh, 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 you know, about Roe v. Wade, this is one that I really hope you listen to, because before we left for the break, I offered a detailed monologue and an explanation about the so-called independent state legislative theory or doctrine, as the autocrats on the right are now describing it. Uh, This independent state legislative doctrine, ISL, as some people are calling it, will be decided by this North Carolina case next term, Moore v. Harper, and it will be decided in time to potentially even likely undermine the 2024 presidential election in a way that Donald Trump failed to do in 2020. But this time, the Supreme Court is likely to give the Republicans the tools they need to do exactly what they didn't, what they couldn't in 2020. Now, for the legal details, you can go to bradblog.com, download the last show we did before we took off for the holiday. It was headlined, Warning, SCOTUS Takes Up Case to Legitimize Fringe Independent State Legislature Doctrine. Now, a lot of folks have been warning and writing about this since then, but I want to turn to my friend and colleague Tom Hartman's take on this, which he shared in a lengthy Twitter thread over the holiday. And maybe it's just a a different way of getting at this so you understand and appreciate just how concerning and troubling this is. He came at it in sort of a, a more chilling way, perhaps, than I did. But I also want to open the phones uh, to that if you have any thoughts or questions about all of this as I move forward. 818-985-5735. Write down that number, 818-985-KPFK. If you are in our live listening area in Southern California or anywhere across the internets, because you really need to understand this. We tried to warn about Exactly this, this theory, back in November of 2020, when Republicans were trying to pull this off, everyone else was talking about, oh, who is Joe Biden going to name for his cabinet? We're saying, hey, guys, this is not over. Look at what these Republicans are trying to do in advance of January 6th. 
Well, now they will most likely have the U.S. Supreme Court's blessing to do so in 2024 unless Democrats can wise up and reform the court by expanding it and doing so quickly. Otherwise, well, I'll preface this by noting that, uh, you know, I hear a lot of complaints about Democrats whenever we open the phones here or via email to me at bradcast at bradblog.com. And that's fine. But when I hear complaints about how both parties are the same, oh, they're both sellouts, there's no difference between the two. I wonder what world you are living in. If you do not understand the need to vote this year and yes, in 2024, but this year and then hopefully to somehow expand the well, expand the Democrats majority in the Senate and hold on to the bare majority that they currently have in the House. If you don't understand how important that is because you think, oh, both sides are just as bad. Well, then you are not paying attention. Or, I don't know, maybe you're a chaos agent actually rooting for the fall of American democracy as we know it. Oh, Brad, you're, you're, you're just protecting Democrats by saying this. No, actually, I'm, pro- I'm trying to protect democracy. At this point, I'm actually trying to save democracy. So, no, I don't think both sides are the same. I don't even think they're close. But when it comes to politics, yes, Democrats are really bad at it. Unlike Republicans, however, we have a shot at making Democrats better at it in hopes of saving democracy itself, but not if they no longer hold the U.S. Senate and the House in advance of the 2024 elections. And for that, that means people need to vote in 2022. Now, again, feel free to call in. Tell me why I'm wrong. 818-985-5735. But you might want to heed Tom Hartman's Twitter thread first on this which he describes as the nightmare scenario that the Supreme Court is plotting for the 2024 election takeover. Tom Hartman begins his thread this way. Six Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court just announced a story that has largely flown under the nation's political radar that they'll consider pre-rigging the presidential election of 2024. Here's how just one aspect of it could work out, writes Tom, if they go along with the GOP's argument that will be before the court this October. He writes, it's November 2024 and the presidential race between Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis has been tabulated by the states and called by the networks. Biden won 84,300,000 votes to DeSantis's 77,366,000 votes, clearly carrying the popular vote. But the popular vote isn't enough. George W. Bush lost to Al Gore by a half a million votes in the popular vote, and Donald Trump lost to Hillary Clinton by three million votes. Nonetheless, both ended up in the White House. What matters, writes Tom, is the electoral college vote, and that looks good for Joe Biden, too, in this 2024 scenario, according to this scenario imagined by Tom Hartman. 
As CNN is reporting, he writes, the outcome is a virtual clone of the 2020 election. Biden carries the same states that he did that year, and DeSantis gets all the Trump states. It's 306 to 232 in the Electoral College, a 74-vote Electoral College lead for Joe Biden, at least as calculated by CNN and the rest of the media. Joe Biden is heading to the White House for another four years. Until the announcement comes out of Georgia. Although Biden won the popular vote in Georgia, their legislature decided it can overrule the popular vote and just award the state's 16 electoral votes to Ron DeSantis instead of Joe Biden. An hour later, we hear from five other states with Republican-controlled legislatures where Joe Biden won the majority of the vote, just like he had in 2020, We hear from five other states, North Carolina and their 15 electoral votes, Wisconsin and their 10 electoral votes, Michigan and their 16 electoral votes, Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes, Arizona's 11 electoral votes. Each has followed Georgia's lead and their legislatures have awarded their electoral college votes. Even though Biden won, they've awarded their votes to Ron DeSantis. Thus, a total of 88 Electoral College votes from those six states moves from Biden to DeSantis, who's declared the winner and will be sworn in on January 20, 2025. Now, to be frank, based on how the uh, Supremes decide in Moore v. Harper, I would argue the scenario just laid out by Tom Hartman is not only possible, but frankly, likely. Frankly, it is the more probable scenario at this point if this radical extremist Supreme Court does what they are expected to do in Moore v. Harper. Now, the rest of Hartman's thread is somewhat more speculative, but frankly, it's completely plausible. Continuing on, he writes, Wolf Blitzer. Wolf Blitzer of CNN announces that DeSantis has won the election and millions of people pour into the streets to protest. They're met with a hail of bullets as Republican-affiliated militias have been rehearsing for this exact moment. Just as happened, he writes, when Pinochet's militias shot into crowds as he took over Chile, when Mussolini's volunteer, volunteer militia, the black shirts, killed civilians as he took over Italy, and Hitler's brown shirts did in Germany, their allies among the police and army refused to intervene. After a few thousand people lay dead in the streets of two dozen cities, the police begin to round up the surviving instigators who are charged with seditious conspiracy for resisting the Republican legislatures of their states. And after he's sworn in on January 20, President DeSantis points to the ongoing demonstrations, declares a permanent state of emergency and suspends future elections, just as Trump has repeatedly told the world that he had planned for 2020. Sound far-fetched, asks Tom. Well, he notes six Republicans on the Supreme Court just announced that one of the first cases they will decide next year could include whether that very scenario is constitutional or not. And he writes that it almost certainly is. Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution lays out the process clearly, and it doesn't even once mention the popular vote or the will of the people. That section of the Constitution reads, quote, Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature therefore may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state 
may be entitled in the Congress. In other words, it is up to the state legislature according to the Constitution, at least if you are a strict constructionist who reads the Constitution literally. Or if you happen to be one of the corrupt uh, Supreme Court justices that we have who just makes up whatever they want in order to come to whatever finding they want. Anyway, Tom writes, it's not particularly ambiguous in the Constitution, even as clarified by the 12th Amendment and the Electoral Count Act of 1887. Neither mentions the will of the people, although the Electoral Count Act requires each state's governor to certify the vote, the electoral vote, before passing it on to D.C. And half of those states mentioned, at least for now, have Democratic governors. Which brings us to the Supreme Court's probable, he calls it probable, 2023 decision. As Robert Barnes wrote for The Washington Post, quote, the Supreme Court said it will consider what would be a radical change in the way the federal elections are conducted, giving state legislatures sole authority to set the rules for contests, even if their actions violated their own state constitutions and resulted in extreme partisan gerrymandering for congressional seats. While the main issue being debated in Moore v. Harper is a gerrymander that conflicts with North Carolina's state constitution, the issue at the core of the debate is what's called the independent state legislature doctrine. It literally gives state legislatures the only only state legislatures, not governors, not secretaries of state, not boards of election, not even state courts, not state constitutions, not state constitutional amendments that were actually adopted by the people via a ballot referendum. This theory gives state legislatures the full power to pre-rig or simply hand elections to the candidate of their choice if the state legislature decides they want to. They have a constitutional mandate to determine all by themselves with a simple majority vote who will receive the state's electoral votes and thus will be allowed by the Supreme Court to rig any presidential election that they like by the time we get to 2024. That is just a part of what is at stake in 2022. As I believe I've been noting for some time, uh, though, uh, how many of you believe me, I, I cannot say. This is not a drill. This is happening, and it's happening as soon as the next term of the Supreme Court, which uh, did not have to take up this case, Moore v. Harper, by the way. It's a North Carolina case. It found that the state legislature had violated the state constitution by gerrymandering congressional seats. But the Supreme Court did take this case in which the state legislature is arguing that they do not have to follow their own state constitution. They do not have to follow their own governor's veto. They do not have to follow the state Supreme Court. They can do whatever they like, 100% unchecked, when it comes to creating rules for federal elections. And I know that sounds ridiculous, and I know it sounds like, you know, these conspiracy theorists you hear on the air telling you that, uh, you know, COVID is a, is a hoax created by Anthony Fauci for some reason or Bill Gates. But this is 
this is why I need to be so detailed about the fact that this is not a hoax. This is not ridiculous. This is actually happening. And Democrats must be in control of Congress next year in order to even have a chance of doing anything about it. As NPR notes, the independent state legislature theory was first invoked by three right-wing U.S. Supreme Court justices in the celebrated Bush v. Gore case that handed the 2000 election victory to George W. Bush. In that case, the three uh, cited it to support the selection of of a Republican slate of presidential electors by the state legislature in Florida, despite results showing that Al Gore won the state. At the time, those justices were Rehnquist, Scalia, and Clarence Thomas who is now the senior most member of the court. The other two are gone. They wrote in their concurring opinion in Bush v. Gore, quote, the federal questions that ultimately emerged in this case are not are not substantial. Article two, they write, provides that, quote, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. In a presidential election, the clearly expressed intent of the legislature must prevail, they wrote. Whatever the legislature wants must prevail. Now, those three justices at the time, they were in the minority with that concurring opinion. Only three of the nine. But that has now changed with the GOP's theft of the U.S. Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh has already said he's in favor of this. That's uh, that's four. All they need is one more vote. And that's the doctrine. That's the basis of uh, of John Eastman and Donald Trump's efforts to get states to submit multiple slates of electors back in 2020. They were citing Article two of the Constitution. And the 12th Amendment of the Constitution, which says that each state's legislature has the final say in which candidate gets their state's electoral college votes. Governors and the will of the voters be damned. As Tom Hartman notes, the Republicans point out that the Constitution says it is up to the states, quote, in such manner as the legislature therefore may direct to decide which presidential candidate gets the electoral college votes. But the Electoral Count Act requires a governor to sign off. Half of those states we mentioned, those swing states, have Democratic governors. So which has precedence, the Constitution or the Electoral Count Act? Well, if the Supreme Court says it's the U.S. Constitution rather than the Electoral Count Act, and remember they completely ignored the Clean Air Act when determining that the EPA could not regulate carbon, so sure, why not also Put the U.S. Constitution uh, above the Electoral Count Act. Put it above state constitutions. Put it above state laws. Put it above the votes of the citizenry. Hartman writes, the scenario outlined above becomes not just possible, but very likely in that event. After all, the Constitution only mentions the state legislatures. They're all all of them on the swing states are all Republican controlled. So the unwillingness of the Democratic governors of Michigan, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, if they are still Democratic by 2024, well, that becomes moot. Tom writes, this scenario isn't just plausible, it is probable. GOP-controlled states are already changing their state laws to allow for it, and Republican strategists are gaming out which states have Republican legislatures willing to override the votes of their people to win the White House for the Republican candidate. 
And really, which Republican legislature from those states that I just named do you think would not be willing to do that? Uh, as the uh, Tom quotes, as I did uh, a week or so ago, the very uh, well-respected, very conservative judge, J. Michael Ludig, who's often compared to Antonin Scalia, uh, he recently wrote that Trump and the Republicans can only be stopped from stealing the 2024 election at this point if the Supreme Court rejects the independent state legislature doctrine. And if Congress amends the Electoral Count Act to constrain Congress's power, to reject state electoral votes and decide the presidency. Trump's January 6th effort, Tom concludes, failed because every contested state had laws on the books requiring all of their electoral college votes to go to whichever candidate won the popular vote in the state. But that will not be the case in 2024, he argues. As we are watching the Supreme Court in collaboration with state legislatures through, uh, through activists like Ginny Thomas who tried to encourage Arizona to throw out the Arizona legislature to throw out the uh, electoral votes for Joe Biden and name Donald Trump to be the winner. Well, those folks are now setting up, setting up right now uh, all of this in front of us in real time. Says Tom, we damn well better be planning for this because it's likely coming our way in just a bit more than two short years. Now, I suspect we will be discussing ways to plan for this in the coming days and weeks and months on this show. But I need you to understand what is happening. Not theoretically happening, but is happening. And if there is any of this that you do not understand, please give me a call. Let's talk about it. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. It is important that Every broadcast listener at least understands what is going on so you can spread the news and you can explain what is happening, what is about to happen, what is likely to happen and why it matters that you vote. And in this case, whether you or I like it or not, why it's important to help Democrats maintain control of both houses of Congress this November. By the way, that's just 120 short days from today. Election Day. So, again, this is not about protecting Democrats at this point. I don't care about them. This is about protecting democracy. And even if Democrats can manage to hold on to both houses, there is no guarantee, uh, you know, that Republicans and their corrupted, illegitimate Supreme Court will not get away with this anyway. But this is why rolling over to this both sides are the same. Knee jerkery, frankly is insane right now and, frankly, an abdication of our responsibility as stewards to protect democracy. No matter how good or bad you or I may think Democrats are at protecting democracy themselves. And by the way, if you believe the Green Party can somehow save democracy between now and 2024 or the Libertarians can do it or anybody else, great, let me know. Let me know how that works, because if that works, I'm fine with it. I am protecting de Democrats. I'm protecting democracy because I believe that we, the people, have no choice at this point. But perhaps you feel differently. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Give me a ring. We need to talk about this, I think. You need to understand what we have been warning about for so long, which is now becoming a very real scenario. 818 
985-5735. Your calls are next. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Baby, how'd we ever get this way? Baby, how'd we ever get this way? Good question. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Hoping and praying you understand the independent state legislature doctrine and what the Supreme Court has decided uh, they will consider in the next term in advance of the 2024 presidential election and how important this is. Yeah, and I I, I think we really can't underscore or understate how, uh, or overstate, I guess, how important this is because the uh, court majority, the supermajority on the Supreme Court has made it clear that they will honor no precedent at all when it comes to passing these kinds of rulings that will open up this scenario. They are blowing everything up. This hypothetical scenario that is... uh, that Hartman create that uh, uh, Tom Hartman mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. he helps to visualize how bad it could go. But right now, the the way it, it, it looks is very bad. <laughs> uh, yes. And that's why people need to understand it and stop playing games and stop. Well, anyway, let's go to some calls. Bob in Van Nuys. Hey, Bob, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Do I got you there, Bob? No, Bob. All right. We'll try to come back to. Uh, so, gotcha. Oh, there we go. Now we got Bob. Hey, Bob, how are you, man? Uh, we're hot out here in Van Nuys, man. I know you are. Sorry about that. We we tried to so, warn you about that, too. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I'm sorry I came back. So I was in Harbor Springs, Michigan, yeah. uh, three weeks ago at a very, very, you can explain to everybody what that is after I hang up. You mm-hmm. went to school in Interlochen. And everybody in the Grand Rapids. Are you uh, stalking me, Bob? All right, go ahead. No. Everybody in the Grand Rapids area will understand this. So I was at the depot. The depot is one of the most exclusive, private, small, intimate dining clubs in the whole Upper Great Lakes area. The founding members include, of the two dozen, the D&B DeVos family, the D&B DeVos family, Mm -hmm. and the Van Andels. Mm -hmm. And I was over-listening, people talking about exactly... What what you just went over exactly how they were going to do it, and and they were talking and they were talking about it favorably, right? They weren't warning people about it. They were saying, "Hey, this is what we can we get to do now." If you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall in mm. Betsy DeVos's office, yeah. listen to this is her crew. Yeah. These are the Southwest Dutch Reform Republicans. Yeah. Okay, this is the state where this spring the top. Three, I believe it is, Republican candidates for the primary for governor submitted hundreds of thousands of fake signatures. Yes, yes. Knocking them all out. Yep. And the, the number four just got, uh, uh, he won the primary. They're going to do it. They're going to try it. I mean, yep. you know, these are the guys that tried the fake elector thing in, in last year. No, this what? is this is for real. And I can't underscore it enough. I mean, that's why I spent the entire hour before we left for a break on exactly this. And I felt the need to do it again. And, you know, and I, I, I think that uh, Tom's horrific scenario of the protesters, uh, you know, being shot dead in the streets. 
start realizing that is very much a possibility at this point. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Very much. Beat beat the drum, brother. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate that, Bob. Good to hear from you. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to uh, Sherry in Mission Viejo. Hey, Sherry, welcome to the broadcast. Yes, hi. I just have a question regarding the solutions. Mm -hmm. What can we do as the people? I understand what the issues are. Mm -hmm. So what are your suggestions? Well, uh, for one, I I think... This alone, but also for many other reasons, uh, leads us to realize we have an illegitimate, corrupted Supreme Court that must be expanded, period. Uh, we've, we've got to re-legitimize the court from what it is now, uh, having been stolen and packed by the Republicans. Now, uh, right now, uh, Joe Biden is not playing along with that. He should, but he's not. Uh, But I think as this gets worse and worse, there's a possibility that maybe he and others will understand it. And if there are enough people in the U.S. Senate, enough Democrats in the U.S. Senate, then we can actually uh, reform, do away with the filibuster, return to an actual small d Democratic uh, upper body in, in, in Congress and do what needs to be done in order to expand the uh, Supreme Court and, frankly, uh, save the the nation and the free world along with it. So how can we push the Democratic Party and Joe Biden to mm-hmm. do so? What can we do? Well, Besides writing, calling. Yeah. Well, like I said, in the days ahead, we'll be talking more about that. First things first. Uh, right now, if you listen to the pundits out there, oh, they're going to take a, a, a beating this November. The Democrats are going to lose the House. They're going to lose the Senate. I would suggest doing everything you can to avoid having that happen. Beyond that, there is a very good effort going on right now uh, that I support over a Talking Points memo uh, that uh, the, uh, the the guy who runs the site, Josh Marshall, over there has been pushing a campaign going senator, Democratic senator to Democratic senator to get them to commit to a uh, codifying Roe, Roe v. Wade, into law if they get 52 uh, uh, seats, because that is what they'll need in the Senate in order to reform the filibuster. So if they can reform the filibuster with 52 Democrats uh, for Roe, and, and he's been pushing each of these senators to promise to do this in January, a pact with the voters. Give us the Senate. Let us keep the House. And we will do this thing in January for Roe v. Wade. I think something similar needs to be done for uh, expanding the court. Does that answer your question for now? Uh, yes, just one more thing quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain why Republicans get everything that they want, even though they're not in power when they're not? But Democratic Party, they don't. And I think that's the frustration. That's why a lot of people mm-hmm. don't like them yep. and uh, hesitate to vote for them. Yeah. I, and and no, I, I can't. Well, we, we could take an hour to talk about that. Uh, basically, <laughs> they're not afraid of their voters. Um, Republicans, you know, they're not afraid of their voters. They've got enough money to uh, groom their voters to, you know, believe that up is down and night is day and that uh, undermining the U.S. Constitution is somehow conservative. Um, And the media tend to go along with that. So the corporate media tends to to go along with that. So there's a lot of reasons that actually it deserves an entire show. For now, I'd say hold the Democrats' feet to the fire. And that, by the way, I have no problem voting against Democrats in, in the primary. Vote against them if you want. 
Uh, actually, vote against them if you want in, in November. Just understand what you are doing and what is actually at stake. Because if I hear more of this knee-jerkery about how both parties are the same, oh, they're both corrupt, there's no difference between the two, that is the laziest goddamn take on any of this that I have ever heard, Sherry. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. Good to hear Thanks from you, so Sherry. Much. Thanks for the call. 818-985-KPFK. Desi, uh, check with uh, Mark. Can I blow through the break to try to get to as many calls as possible, or do we have to take a break here? Yeah? We're going to stick with it? Yeah, it looks like we're okay. Let's do that, because I want to try to get to as many calls as I can. I think it's that important. Please forgive me. James in Venice, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Um, Can you be more specific as to what it would take to expand the Supreme Court, could it be just by presidential executive order? And if that happened and there was a Republican president after that, could that be all undone? And one other comment is that I remember when um, uh, Tom Hartman was sponsored by Sputnik Radio. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I don't know that he was sponsored. Uh, I know that they had licensed his show. Uh, they also licensed my show, by the way, and we uh, made that very clear at the top of every show. Uh, unlike uh, I, I suspect you're talking about the guy who comes on before me who doesn't tell anybody who pays his uh, who pays his <laughs> salary. Anyway, uh, yes. James, don't get me off track here, James. You had a good question, which is uh, what does it take to to change the number of seats on the U.S. Supreme Court? It takes nothing more than a vote of Congress. Now, a president can't do it, to my knowledge, on their own as an executive order, for example. So it would take uh, both the House and the Senate agreeing to expand the number of seats on the court. Or it would take, in Mitch McConnell's case, you know, him just blocking the seating of a uh, Supreme Court justice for a year, changing unilaterally the number of people on the Supreme Court from nine to eight. That's what Mitch McConnell did. And now they're complaining that we shouldn't change the number of uh, Supremes on the court. It's up to Congress. It is not in the Constitution. There is no hard number. It has changed many times over the years. So if Congress, we know that the Republicans are not going to do it, but if the Democrats can do it in both houses of Congress and get it to a Democratic president, then it can be changed. And yeah, it could be changed back if the uh, Republicans feel like doing that once they get control of both houses and the White House. And, And Brad, uh, does will ending the filibuster uh, become necessary for that to happen? Well, um, yes, <laughs> because right now to make anything happen, you need 60 votes. So unless somehow Democrats can get 60 seats in the U.S. Senate this November, which is impossible this year, uh, then, yeah, you would have to be able to change the filibuster or convince uh, some Republicans to come along with you. And uh, good luck with that. (laughs) Thanks, Brad. Thanks, James. I really appreciate your call, sir. Good one. 818-985-KPFK. Who should I go to next here? Let me go to Matt in Santa Maria. Hey, Matt, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, Matt. We still got you, Matt? No, Matt. All right. We will go to, um, who do we got here? Let me go to Lloyd in Apple Valley. Hey, Lloyd, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. Okay, so I just got rid of my serious radio, so I'm going to donate on the next fun drive. Just wanted to get that out of the way. 
to thank, the corporate media. Thank you for that. Uh, number, number two, I don't think we have a – well, first of all, when it comes to both parties, I don't think there's a, a big difference in foreign policy. In fact, I would say Biden is worse. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but that's just the way it is. And regard to the election, I, we don't have a resistance party. The, these guys are not resisting. They're not doing like what you say. Who are these They're guys? Who are these, doing, Lloyd? Who are these guys? The Democrats, the leadership, Pelosi, Biden, Schumer, all of them. Right. They're not resisting. Yeah, make them. Yeah, you know, they're not. Make them. That's your choice, Lloyd. Make them and, and, and or and or run yourself, which I fully support. But make them. And, well, and just to I, comment on the well, I'm not even going to leave. I'll I'll leave the foreign policy comment you made. Go ahead. What What, what do you think is going to happen? My my last question. What do you think is going to happen if they do take over? Like worst case scenario. If If who takes over? The uh, Republicans, if they get majority of the House and the Senate, and then the presidency. Well, did you go, did, did you just go through the did you just did, did you turn in from the top of the show when I went through that list of what the Supreme Court just did one week ago when right. they when they killed the EPA's ability to fight climate change, when they overturned the 50 year uh, precedent uh, constitutional right of Roe v. Wade, when they stopped states rights from being able to protect their own citizens by well regulating their uh, militia to carry firearms. I mean, I could go through one after another after another, and it gets worse. It gets worse based on what it is that the Supreme Court just did in Roe v. Wade, because they just said all the things uh, that, that buttress, all of the rights that buttress things like marriage equality and uh, the ability to, to buy contraception and interracial marriage, all of those things are bogus. They can, if they like, completely end those tomorrow if they want. So and, we'll have like a handmaiden's tale scenario. Oh, yeah. What, what do you think the react? What's the reaction, though? That's that. You think there'll be an uprising, civil war? You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not in the the business of uh, predicting. I'm not uh, looking at a crystal ball. I'm telling you what is happening and what we need to do about it. Uh, Tom Hartman laid out some pretty chilling scenarios about what could happen uh, on January 20 of 2025. I, you know, I frankly, I don't want to contemplate it. I don't think we should push it that far. I think we uh, barely saved ourselves from Donald Trump at this point after four years ago, people telling me, well, what's the worst that could happen if Donald Trump won? Uh, uh, you want no, your you want I your health care? You want your access to health care? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So. Social Security, the safety net. Yeah. Yes, sir. I agree. And too many on the left are minimizing January 6th. And minimizing what's going to happen if the worst-case scenario happens. Yes, sir. I agree. Thank you, sir. Don't let them do that. Keep up that fight. We need your voice out there. Uh, Do we have time for a couple? Let me see if I can grab a couple really quick. Bruce in L.A. Uh, Go ahead, Bruce. I got just a minute or so. Yes. um, Brad? Yeah. um, I totally disagree with you on democracy, Mm -hmm. saving democracy. Yeah. How so? You seriously believe we have a democracy? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, we do have an imperfect democracy that we have that I've spent the last 20 years of my life trying to make better and better each and every day. All right, I believe you, Brad. You're a good guy. Okay. You really think we still need this antiquated electoral cause? 
Uh, I used to. I used to actually support the Electoral College. Now, not so much. No, I'd I like don't support it at all. Yeah, I'd like to get rid of it. There was a re- I, I had a good reason at a time, but now I think uh, circumstances have changed to the point where, uh, no, it is simply meant to undermine the uh, certainly the popular democracy of the nation. Okay, democracy, demos, people, right? So it's people's government. Yeah. But we're not represented, especially the poor or the brown and black Native American indigenous mm-hmm. peoples. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's hard to call it. It's really an autocracy. Come on. When Donald Trump... If you think this is a, if you think this is an autocracy, Bruce, and I don't mean to cut you off, it's just we're coming in at the top of the hour. But if you think this is a, 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 an autocracy, um, I don't think you're imagine. I, I don't think you're uh, imagining what an autocracy actually really will look like. How yes. Victor, how about Orban in Hungary? Yeah, that's that's closer to an autocracy than what we have, and that is exactly where we're moving. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, I don't believe we have an autocracy yet, but that is absolutely where we are going unless we uh, stand up and do something about it and get over this luxury of, well, I wish we had better Democrats. Guess what? I wish we had better Democrats, too. And I wish they would run. And you're probably a better Democrat. You should run. Maybe I'll run. But the point is, this is what we have. And this is not about saving Democrats. This is about saving democracy itself, as imperfect as it yeah. is. And I hear yeah. you, Bruce. Yeah. I know it's imperfect. But I'm Brad. I'm 70 years old. Mm-hmm. 1968. I was 16 years old. Democratic Convention, Chicago. You know about that, yes? Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. It goes on. <laughs> and. The fight continues, man. I hear you. It's a long fight, brother. It's a long fight, but you have rights. I've been fighting my whole life. I've been an activist my whole life. I'm tired. I hear you. I hear you. I've been arrested for protesting. I hear you. I hear you, Bruce. Uh, But guess what? If you think you're tired... Imagine how those who are coming up behind you feel as things are getting worse. It's a long fight. I'm tired. I've had it with this crap. But uh, the options at this point are very few as far as what we can do. We can roll over. We can let it all happen. That Handmaid's Tale scenario. I don't think that's a good idea. I got to get out. We'll be back tomorrow with our special coverage of the uh, trying to get accountability with the uh, House January 6th committee. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and my board operator, Mark Maxwell, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us on the broadcast. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. I will see you there. Apologies to whoever I couldn't get on. Anyway, I'll see you there until we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 